Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins as he speaks on Healthy Homes and Workplaces. All right. Well, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, as you know by now, because we spent four weeks on marriage, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about relationships. Today, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about um, how he wrote about the relationships that take place in the two places where we actually spend most of our lives. And that would be in the home, and that, of course, would be in the workplace. And so specifically, what we're going to do this morning, here's what's on tap, is that the first probably three quarters of the message, we're going to focus in on the relationships that take place in the home. Not marriage, that's already happened for the past four weeks, but today we're going to focus specifically on the relationships between the parents and the kids, and the kids and the parents. And then for the last quarter or so of the message, we're going to switch gears, we're going to go to the workplace, and we're going to focus on the relationships that take place between bosses and their employees. And so, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is, what's the word? That's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so your first point for today, if you're taking notes, children, obey and honor your parents because it's the right thing to do. It's just right. Now, you don't need a Bible to figure this one out. All you have to do is look at the sacrifice that most parents make on behalf of their children, and you'll know, hey, it's just the right thing for children to obey mom and dad. I mean, think about this for just a moment. When a baby comes into the world, that baby is totally helpless. That baby needs a mom and a dad to take care of him or her. That baby needs a mom or dad to feed them and clothe them and shelter them and nurture them and teach them and train them and prepare them for the real world. Is that right or wrong, right? It's right. And so moms and dads, you are responsible to raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to prepare them for the real world. I love Bob Barnes. He's a psychologist, lives down in Fort Lauderdale. And I remember Bob Barnes used to always say that it's the parents' job, they are responsible to make sure that their kids, when they're ready to go off into the real world, that the, their kids are responsible, they're employable, they're, I don't know if this is a word or not, but marriageable and spiritual. That's our responsibilities, mom and dads, to pour into our kids. And hopefully, uh, by the time they're ready to go off to college or to start their own family, that they're ready for the real world. We are called as parents to prepare our kids for life. And that takes a lot of love and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of tears. And moms and dads, it takes a whole lot of money, doesn't it? Ton of money. And so because of the massive investment that parents make on behalf of their kids, it's just right for the kids to obey their parents, right? Again, think of that helpless baby. 
By the time mom and dad are done with that helpless baby, trans, go forward about 21, 22 years, and now you have a young man or a young woman graduating from college ready to go off into the real world. Well, hopefully, if mom and dad have done their job right, that child has gone from physically helpless to physically strong, from socially awkward to socially confident, from irresponsible to responsible, from unwise to actually having some wisdom, from not having any kind of spiritual relationship or knowing God, hopefully that they have, they have and they own their own walk with Jesus Christ. And so that's a massive investment. And because of that massive investment, kids, obey your parents, verse 1, in the Lord, for it is right. Now notice it says obey. Sometimes the question is asked by moms and dads, well, how long should my child obey and honor me? And I would answer, well, that depends on whether you're talking about obedience or honor. You see, because obedience, well, let me put it this way. As far as obedience is concerned, as long as they are living in your home, they need to obey. And you need to make sure they obey. As long as they're sleeping in your house, as long as they are eating your food, as long as they are using your electricity and your water, moms and dads, they, your kids need to be obedient to you. And so obedience is temporary because once they leave your home and maybe start their own family, then they are no longer under your authority. Hopefully you've invested in them, they're prepared for real life. Hopefully now they're gonna make some more wise decisions than unwise decisions, but when they leave your home, they are no longer under your authority unless they're going to college and you're still paying their bills. And so very important that you understand that obedience is temporary, listen to this, but honor is for life. The Apostle Paul knew that. That's why he said in verse two, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. The fifth commandment of the Big Ten, back in Exodus chapter 20, is honor your mother and father. And the Apostle Paul says that the fifth commandment is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. It's a promise that, verse 3, it would be well with you, if you'll honor mom and dad, it will be well with you, and you will live long on the earth. Anybody in the house want to be blessed? Honor mom and dad. Now, this is talking to kids of all ages. And so if you're like me, and you have parents or a parent who's older, then you still honor that mom or that dad. You honor mom and dad for the rest of your lives. And by the way, when your parents are old um, to the point where they can't take care of themselves, guess who needs to step up and take care of mom and dad? The same person who received their investment when you were a little kid. That's just the way things should work. And so if you want to be blessed, if you want to live long and prosper, by the way, did you hear that Cap uh, Mr. Spock died on Friday? So sad to hear that. 
my brothers and I uh, grew up in the 70s, so we would always watch reruns of Star Trek every week, and I loved Mr. Spock, you know, live long and prosper. Well, if you want to live long and prosper, then obey, mom, then honor your mother and your father. Now, the good news for parents here, how many parents, if you're a parent, say amen. amen. Okay, so the good news for all you parents is that if you raise your kids right, I didn't say perfectly, nobody does that. But if you raise your kids right, then when they get older and leave home, they're still gonna wanna honor you. Even though they moved out, they'll still wanna hang out and hear about what you have to say about the stuff of life. You see, once they leave your home, they may no longer be under your authority, but if you raise them right, they're still gonna wanna be under your influence. I love uh, pastors Andy Stanley and Craig Groeschel God's using both those pastors phenomenally in our day, and they have a, uh, a, a conference that they put on every year. It's called Catalyst. They have a long version and a short version. I like their short version. It's called Catalyst One Day. And so they'll get together, and um, churches from all over, leaders and staff from all over the area that they're going to will get together. And we did that as a staff. We, we went and listened uh, to Catalyst One Day two years ago down in South Florida, and I was intrigued by Andy Stanley's family goals. Check it out. Andy Stanley and his wife said, number one, we want to enjoy each other even when the kids are gone. That's important. And so mom and dad, um, no matter how old your son or daughter is, at some point, they're going to leave. And you're going to be empty nesters. When that time comes and you're empty nesters, you don't want to look at your spouse and say, who are you? And so the way not to ever have to have that happen to you, here's what you do. You invest, as we said for the last four weeks, you invest in the marital relationship above all other relationships on this earth. And then when you, except for the Lord, of course. But when you invest in the marital relationship above all other relationships, including the relationship you have with your kids, this is where a lot of moms and dads get off base. They put junior ahead of their spouse, and they become closer to junior than they do with their spouse. And then when junior goes away, they look at their spouse, and the spouse is almost a stranger. And so if you invest in your marital relationship all those years while you're raising your kid as the number one relationship, then you can actually have number one there on the screen be a reality in your life. But number two, he says, we want to create a family where the kids want to be with us even when they don't have to be. And so once again, if you raise your kids right, I didn't say perfect. I'm going to keep saying that over and over because none of us do that. But if you raise your kids right, even after they leave home, they'll want to come back and they'll want to hang out with you and have fun with you. They're going to want to glean wisdom from you. My wife Stacy and I have three daughters. Our oldest daughter is Megan. She's 24 years old, happily married. Our second daughter is Mandy. She's 21 years old and getting married very soon. And then our youngest daughter is Mary. She's 18, and she's in a, a committed relationship. One is out of the home. One is almost out of the home. The other one is still at home. And my wife Stacy and I love this season of our lives. You say, why? Because the kids are leaving? 
No, no, no. Honestly, you know why we love this season of life? Because it looks like they're going to want to come back. Not to live. We're not talking about that. They're going to want to come back and hang out and have fun. In other words, even though our, this is something that my wife and I are so happy about, even though our authority has almost ended and all three of our daughters' lives, our influence by God's grace is continuing and will continue in the future. So we get together during the week. We have dinner together every Sunday afternoon. And long after the food is been, has been consumed, we're still there sitting around the table and we're talking with one another. By the way, parents, one of the most important things that you can do is sit down around a table. It's called a dining room table. <laughs> At least four times a week with your spouse and your kids and talk. Don't put the TV on. Don't get the TV trays and, well, you know, your kid tries to talk to you. Shh, 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 I'm watching Blue Bloods. Just hang on a minute. No. Put the TV off, sit around the table, and make sure that you're connecting with your wife and husband and with your kids. And so we love doing that on Sunday afternoons. We love during the week sometimes hanging out on family game night. We love the competition of playing these different games with our kids and having fun. And you know what's happening? Is that they want to hear what my wife and I have to say about different stuff in life. And that's a huge, huge blessing. Look at verse 1. I want to stop here for just a moment and talk about this thing called obedience. Children, obey. Everybody say obey. Straight from God's word. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That is a command from God. But you know, our culture is a million miles away from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. In fact, our culture, this is the version that they would prefer. Parents, obey your children so they can get their way. Honor your children so it will be well with you and your kids don't make a scene. I mean, am I the only one? How many of you have witnessed this at Walmart? Little Junior wants the toy. I want the toy. No, honey, you can't have the toy. Maybe next time. I want it! And they grab it and they put it in the cart. And the parent's like, no, honey, not today. We can't afford this. Maybe next week. And they take it. I said I want it. And, you know, I've seen kids, you know, grabbing the toy from their parents. I saw a kid just two days ago in the Publix line. The kid was no longer than this tall. And he was ordering his mom around as if he was the parent and she was the child. And you know what her response was? Okay, honey. I was just like, ah. But usually in Walmart or Publix or Target, right before the kid makes a huge public scene, what do most parents in this culture do? They give in, they put the toy in the cart. All of a sudden, yeah, it becomes, hey, right? What does that parent just taught that child? That if you scream loud enough, you can get whatever you want in life. How's that going to work out for Junior after he leaves home and gets a job? Or Sunday morning at the Shine Children's Ministry. You go to check your child in. I don't want to go in there. 
honey, we're, mom and dad are just going to be right over there in the next building. It's going to be okay. No, 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 I want to go with you. And right before they make the big scene, okay, okay, you can come with us over to the worship center. What have you just taught your child? That if they scream loud enough, they can have whatever they want to have. Now, some parents don't like pastors when they talk this way. And they'll, they'll say, well, what do you want me to do? Let my kid make a scene over there? Here's what God wants you to do. God wants you to be the parent. Because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, yes, we can honor God, right? Because we're talking about his word. This is his word. This is his command. And his command is not that you would obey your child, but that your child would obey you. That's what God has to say about it. And so, man, you got to make sure that you're lining yourself up with God's word because that's when God pours out his blessing. But again, parents have an attitude. They don't like when pastors talk this way. And some of them will actually say, well, fine. I just, if my kid's going to make a scene every Sunday over there, I'm just not going to come to church. Well, now you have another problem. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. In other words, God's command to believers go to church. So are you really are you really going to disobey God so you can obey your child? Rather, what might be better is let them make a scene. It's okay to let my kid make a scene. Yes, it's better if they make a scene while they're 45 pounds than when they're 145 pounds. <laughs> or worse, 245 pounds. <laughs> Come on, parents, we got to get a, you know, ahead of this, this thing. It's better if they make a scene while they're a child than if they make a scene while they're an adult and lose their job or lose their marriage or get arrested. It is your responsibility as a mom and a dad to prepare them for real life. And in order for you to prepare them for real life, you have to make sure that they honor you and that they obey you in the home. So if Junior is making a scene, here's what you do, parents. You, first of all, you get down on their level. And then you look them in the eye. And you say with a very firm voice, as they're, right? You look him in the eye, you say with a very firm voice, if you do not stop, there will be consequences when we get home. And then, if they continue to throw a fit, you've got to make sure there are actually consequences when you get home. Let me tell you something, this is like one of the number one principles of parenting. Your consequences have to be consistent. Absolutely. My mom and dad get an A plus in this area. <laughs> when I grew up in the 70s, man, when my mom and dad said there was going to be a consequence, there was absolutely 100% of the time a consequence, whether I liked it or not. And you know what? They prepared me for real life. I remember my dad telling me when I was at probably third, fourth grade, my dad said to me, son, if your school ever has to call me at work because of your misbehavior and they tell me to come pick you up, I will spank you in front of your entire class. That was back in the 1970s when you could get away with that. 
And you know what? I believed the man. <laughs> and you know what? I behaved in school. I respected my teachers because I knew the consequences were 100%. Why is things so radically changed in our day today? It's almost like we'd rather obey our kids than make sure our kids obey us. And so if you tell, listen to this, if you tell Junior that there's gonna be consequences when you get home and there are no consequences when you get home, then Junior will always question your authority. And if they, if they question your authority now, they're gonna have a problem with authority for the rest of their lives. And that leads you to your next point. Very important, parents, if your kids don't learn to obey and honor your authority now, they probably, I would say most likely, won't obey and honor other authority figures later. Young people that don't learn to submit and honor and obey in the home have a very hard time with authority later on in life, like with their future boss. And so moms and dads, you may put up with your kid dishonoring you and disobeying you in the home, but let me tell you something, their future boss is not gonna put up with that at the workplace. And do you really want your child as an adult to go from job to job to job to job because they have a, a problem with authority? But that's exactly what you're doing every time you let them get away and get away and get away and get away with misbehavior because you wanna be their friend. God hasn't called you to be their friend. He's called you to be their parent. You can be their friend later in life. You're preparing them for real life. And so you know what going from job to job to job to job means? It means poverty. So you could actually, the way you raise your kid, decide or help your kid as to how much money they're gonna make in the future. Kids who do not learn to obey and honor and submit to authority in the home have a problem with authority figures later in life, like the police. Moms and dads, we would make the police their job so much easier if we would just discipline our kids when they're little at home. And by the way, can I just say, side note, not in the notes, can I just say for all those of you who have been in the past or are police officers now, can I just let you know how grateful we are for you? The fact, listen to this. So important, so important. The fact that you men and women put your lives on the line every single day so we can be safe, they don't pay you enough. Whatever your amount, whatever your salary is, they don't pay you enough because of the fact that you put your life on the line. And you know, I just want to do this, and so if you are a police officer or you have been a police officer in the past, would you just stand up right now so we can thank you for your service to us? Are there any? God bless you guys and gals. God bless you guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, church, let's give it up for them, right? This is important. So important. God bless you men and women. Children that do not learn to submit to authority in the home have a problem with other authority figures later in life. Like the Lord. Moms and dads, 
When you let your kids get away with behavior over and over and over and over again, and you let them disrespect you and dishonor you, and you don't make sure they're submitting to your authority, they're going to have a hard time submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes knocking on their, their heart's door later in life. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Old Testament priest Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now listen to this. This is heavy, but this is truth. The Old Testament priest Eli aided in the damnation of his two sons because he did not teach them to submit to authority when they were little boys. And because he did not teach them to submit to his authority when they were little boys, when they got to be big boys, priests with their dad and his oversight in the tabernacle there in 1 Samuel chapter 3, you know what those two boys were doing? They were having sex with the women who would come and serve at God's holy tabernacle. And they didn't care. And so you know what happened? God sent a prophet to Eli. And these words just, just, just hit me this morning when I read it. God said to, through the prophet to this dad who failed as a dad, he said, Eli, you have honored your sons more than you have honored me. And the result of that is that your boys are going to die in battle. And sure enough, in battle, Hophni and Phinehas were killed, and they went straight to hell. And Eli died. He fell off the, 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 the wall backwards when he heard that the Philistines had captured the Ark of God. He fell over. He breaks his neck. He dies. He goes straight to heaven. Eli has been in heaven for 3,000 years without his two boys. What's one of the reasons? Because he did not teach them to submit to authority when they were little boys. This is a serious, serious issue. And so that's your responsibility, moms. That's your responsibility, dads, to make sure that your kids honor you and respect you. But look at verse 4 now. we got to keep all this in balance, and Paul knew that when he wrote to the parents in the church of Ephesus. He said, and you fathers. Now, sometimes, specifically in the book of Hebrews, that Greek word for fathers is used for parents. It's used for Moses' parents, for both Moses' mom and dad. And so some scholars believe that he's still addressing mom and dad in verse 4, and I tend to agree with them because that fits the context. So, and you parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. It's so important that you don't take this to an extreme and you provoke your kids to anger. So how can you avoid provoking your kids to anger? It's your next point. Parents, when raising your kids, Make sure you always balance love and discipline. This is so, so important. In the Roman Empire, fathers, man, they ruled like dictators in their homes. In the first century Roman Empire, there were no laws against physical abuse of children. And so dads absolutely ruled their homes as dictators, and they were very severe in their discipline. A Roman 
father could rule his home like a tyrant and he could physically abuse his kids and totally get away with it. Paul knew that was going on in his culture, so he wrote in verse 4s, Hey, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. So be careful about severe discipline. Be careful about harsh discipline. If you harshly and severely discipline your kids verbally or worse, physically, that's not discipline at all. That's abuse. And so thank God today we have laws to protect children against physical abuse. Now, I personally believe, this is my opinion, that if you strike a child on any part of their body, except for the part that God padded, specifically known as the tush. I personally believe, my opinion, that if you strike a child on any other part of their body except for their bottom or their tush, I believe that's physical abuse. And I think it's wrong and I think it's evil when little kids have welts all across their legs and all across their backs because a father disciplined that child in anger. And so be very careful if you decide to spank your child I would suggest, number one, that you make sure that you and your spouse are in total 100% agreement on that decision. Because spanking is not the only recourse for misbehavior. There's a thousand other ways that you can um, discipline your children. Also, never, never, never spank your child in anger. Make sure you're calm, cool, collected. Also, I would say, can you just be honest and don't look at little Junior and say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Just be honest with your kid. They see right through that. I'd also say, um, only use your open hand on their bottom. I would also say, never spank an infant or a small child. And I would finally say, only spank as the last result. My wife and I would reserve spankings when we were raising our children for direct defiance of our authority. There's lots of other ways to discipline your kids. And nowadays, man, the kids love these video games. And so use that to your advantage to make sure they're honoring you and obeying you in the home. And I, I just want to say again, please, please, please make sure you do not discipline your child in anger. Discipline is not supposed to be an explosive reaction, right? The kid misbehaves, 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 anger, anger, anger. Boom, you know, and next thing you know, the kid's flying across the room. <laughs> it's not what the Bible says at all. Discipline is not an explosive reaction. Discipline is a controlled response. Here's what you ought to do, moms and dads. You ought to, when everything is calm at home, sit down with your kids and you share with them certain misbehaviors that they're known for. And then you let them know, okay, son, daughter, if you choose this misbehavior, then you are choosing this consequence. And so it's up to you. If you do this, I am 100% of the time gonna do this. And then, not if, but when they misbehave, then you administer that discipline, but you're not, ah, right? They're going to be like, ah, right? Because they don't want the consequence, but then you just calmly say, well, you chose the misbehavior. You're now choosing this consequence. That's what 
real parenting is all about. Real discipline is all about. And you got to make sure that you're balancing love and discipline and not be too severe. Uh, a long time ago, someone that I know tells the story of how he got a dog and he decided to take the dog through obedience training school. The problem was it was his own version of obedience training school. And this guy was way too severe, way too harsh on his dog, trying to teach the dog to do what's right. One day, the dog and the owner were at the park. The dog did something wrong, and this guy laid into the dog severely, harshly, and the dog snapped. Next thing you know, the dog falls down on the ground. The dog is quivering and whimpering and urinating all over itself. Eventually, the dog gets up, but the guy that I know who told the story a long time ago, he said, the dog was never the same dog ever again. And it broke the owner's heart because he knew he crushed that animal's spirit. Now listen, it's bad to crush the spirit of an animal. It's infinitely worse to crush the spirit of a child. Children are people. Little people, but they're people. And so we have to love our kids and respect our kids and make sure that we're balancing discipline with lots and lots and lots of love. And you know how kids spell love, right? It's your next point. How do kids spell love? T-I-M-E. My dad, as I said earlier, he disciplined us. He taught us obedience. He taught us to honor authority figures. But you know what he also did? He loved his boys. And I still remember great memories, hours and hours of my dad throwing the football with me and my brothers. Even though he was a busy man, even though he worked a full-time job, even though he did a lot of other things, he found time to take us places and to, to play with us. And so when he disciplined us, it didn't crush our spirits. When my wife and I look back on raising our daughters, one of our favorite memories was family day. I still think back and I think, man, you know what? I did a lot of things wrong, but that's one thing by God's grace I did right. So we homeschooled our kids most of the years that they were being educated. My wife has a bachelor's degree in uh, secondary education, and so she was equipped to do that. And so we homeschooled our kids. That gave us some flexibility in our schedule. So we would take one day out of the week, every week, at least one full day or half a day, and it was family day, and we would just hang out with the kids, and we would have fun with the kids. So we would take them to the mall. We would take them to movies. We would take them to a lot of cheap restaurants because we couldn't afford a lot. Um, beaches and pools. And, and we would uh, go to these different places and hang out and have fun and spend time. And we always looked forward to it. Even when we, sometimes when we could afford it, which wasn't very much, we'd take them to Disney World. Have fun. Spend time. Adult kids look back on that. And that's the stuff that they remember. Even if it's just going to the mall. I remember when our youngest daughter, who's now 18, Mary, when she was five years old, we took her to the Gardens Mall down in Palm Beach Gardens. When she's five years old, she's walking around, and she goes, Mom, Dad, I feel very comfortable here. <laughs> I was like... And I'm thinking, man, that could get really expensive 10 years from now. The Gardens Mall. Let's, let's go to Jensen Beach or something, right? Not the Gardens Mall. And so spend time with them. But because, listen to this, because of family day every week, 
when we disciplined our kids, because there was so much love, it didn't crush their spirits. So I want to encourage you guys, before we move to the workplace, just to um, don't look at me as the pastor as I'm preaching and teaching these truths from God's word. Um, you know, don't think, well, man, he did it so right. Because I sometimes didn't do it always right. You can ask my kids. You can ask my wife. And so if you are here today as a parent and you look at these principles and you think, man, I haven't really done it right, then just know that today's a new day. You can start doing it right. Right? Your kids need this. Your kids will rise up and call you blessed when they're adults someday and they're stable and they're, they're responsible and they're, they're marriageable, right? And they're employable and they're spiritual. They'll rise up and call you blessed because of the fact that you put these principles into place. Let's go to the workplace and then we'll be done. Look at verse five. He says, bond servants or slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord. He keeps saying this over and over. And not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. I love verse 8. Um, I'm not going to spend time on it later, but I love verse 8 because, very quickly, at the judgment seat of Christ, some people think, I'm only going to get rewards, you know, for the stuff I did around church or on the mission field. I'm only going to get rewards if I'm a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. No, you're not. You're going to get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for what kind of employee you are at work. There is no secular and sacred. There is no, you know, these people who are missionaries and pastors and evangelists are way up special here, and I'm just, you know, the secular worker. In God's eyes, there is no secular or sacred. It's all sacred. We should live for Jesus Christ every minute of every day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. And he will reward you for the kind of employee you are at the job that you hate. Someday at the judgment seat of Christ, if you do it, the way he wants you to do it. But Paul says in verse five, slaves be obedient. And so in Paul's day, slavery was rampant in the Roman Empire. Some scholars estimate there were six million slaves in the Roman Empire. And many of those slaves were Christians. And so these slaves, say some of these people that he's writing to were slaves, they were not treated as people, they were treated as property. Now, how many of you guys know that slavery, no matter where it pops up in history, is always evil? Come on, guys, you can do better than that. Is slavery evil? I mean, that's a, that's a simple one, right? Anytime people are viewed as property, that's evil. That's wrong. And some people get mad at Paul because he doesn't speak out against slavery here in Ephesians chapter 6. Well, let me tell you that he didn't have to because the Bible over and over talks against the evils of slavery. The main thing that God ever said 
to oppose slavery is when he spoke through Moses to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And so every Jew, including Paul, knew that slavery was evil. Paul was not called to speak out against slavery here in Ephesians chapter 6. He was called to preach the gospel and to apply the gospel to our lives. And so he knew that some of these people in Ephesus were slaves, so he wants to talk to them where they're at. How should a slave respond to his or her master? Should they be bitter? Should they be angry? Should they pick up a sword and kill their master? No. Look at verse 5. He says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart. Now, thank God in 2015, we don't have to deal with slavery in America, but we do have employee-employer relationships. So we can apply these words of Paul to that. I'm just wondering, how many of you guys are employees or employers in the house? Just raise your hand. Okay, lots of hands, right? So this is very applicable to where you're at. Let's change the word bond servants to employee. Let's change the word master to bosses. Look at verse 5. Employees, be obedient to those who are your bosses according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ. And notice in verse 5, he says, as to Christ. And then in verse 6, as bondservants of Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, as to the Lord. Why? Because the Apostle Paul knew that sometimes people are going to hate their job and their boss is going to be a jerk and is going to treat them and, uh, wrongly and mistreat them. But he says over and over, not once, not twice, but three times, your boss is Christ. That's your next point. If you're taking notes, this could really revolutionize your attitude at work. Employees, Christ is your boss. So work hard and have a good attitude. He said it three times. If you are a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, when you go to work tomorrow morning, your boss is Jesus Christ. Now, if you really believe that, you won't be late or lazy or lackadaisical. If you really believe that your boss is Jesus Christ, you're going to work hard. You're going to be on time. You're going to have a good attitude. You're going to be honest in every situation. If you really believe that your boss is Jesus Christ, then you're not going to call in sick when you're healthy. Amen or oh me. Now, I understand some of your workplaces allow for personal days to be taken as sick time. You know, if that's, what, that, that's the agreement that your boss has with his employees or her employees, that's great. But if your workplace says you can only use sick time when you're sick, it's dishonest when you're healthy to call in sick. If you, if you really believe that Jesus is your boss, you're not going to take longer breaks than what's allotted. If you really believe that Jesus is your boss, you're not going to serve your boss with eye service. Did you see that in verse 6? Some people don't know what eye service means. Here's what it means. That means that you're working at a slow pace, but then your boss comes into the warehouse or your place of, of work, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, i got to hurry up. The boss is watching. And then he leaves, and you go back 
to your slow pace. That's eye service. How many of you know that Jesus is always watching? So if you really believe that Jesus is your boss, then you'll always work hard. You'll make it a point to be on time. You'll make it a point to have a good attitude. You'll make it a point not to cook the books, not to be dishonest. Let me tell you something. Everybody in this room who raised your hand and said, I'm an employee or I'm an employer, you will be tempted with this whole thing of honesty or dishonesty. And you will be tempted to be dishonest in order to cover your rear end. And I want to encourage you when that, not if, but when that happens, always choose to be honest and let the chips fall. Why? Because your boss Jesus is watching. And he will bless you if you're honest. And so if you, man, you're on time and you work hard and you have a good attitude and you're honest, right? Here's what's going to happen. The Lord is going uh, to bless you. And you may even get a promotion out of this whole thing. And so, man, how practical the Word of God really is. And now let's address the bosses in verse 9. He says, And you, masters, or in our case, bosses, do the same things to them. Okay, so all the stuff that I wrote for the employees, bosses, that's for you too. Be respectful. Giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven. By the way, who's the master in heaven? What's his name? There it is. He's watching. And there is no partiality with him. So your next point for you bosses in the house, if you forget that you have a good boss in heaven, you may become a bad boss on earth. If you're the big boss at your workplace, Realize there's a bigger boss in heaven. And one day he's going to hold you accountable for how you treated your employees. And just so you know, verse 9 as well as verse 4 were revolutionary verses because of the context and the culture that the Apostle Paul was writing to. In that day, not only did fathers beat their kids and were severely disciplining their kids way to an extreme, but bosses were mistreating and threatening their employees. And the, the Lord, through Paul, said, stop threatening them. And so listen to the word of the Lord for all you bosses. Stop threatening your employees. And you might say, well, if I don't threaten them, how am I going to motivate them? Try encouraging them. Instead of always looking for what's they're doing wrong so they, you can come down on them? Why don't you look for what they're doing right and reward them? How about paying them well? Some of you bosses I know, I'm a boss. And you look at the payroll figures. You, find, you look at what's coming in versus what's going out. And you look at how much you can pay, pay an employee. And you think, I can't pay my employees well. Yes, you can. You can live by faith as a Christian boss. And you can make cuts where cuts need to be made. And you can encourage your employees. You can pay them well. And not only that, here's a revolutionary idea. Why don't you serve your employees? Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 27, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your servant. 
And so if you're first at your workplace tomorrow morning, here's what God is calling you to do. Because he is not impressed with your position, but he's very interested in what you do with your position, how you treat your employees. And so if you're a boss, when you go to work tomorrow, God is calling you to serve your employees. What would your employees do if you sat down with them, made some time in the next two, three weeks, sat down with them one-on-one and said to them, so how are you doing? How's your family? How can I help you excel here at work? How can I serve you? So after they pick their job from the ground, (laughs) you have the power to revolutionize your workplace. Why? You're letting the Holy Spirit come in because you're applying his principles to your workplace. And I bet you, if you will put into practice these principles, I bet you productivity will go through the roof and everybody will be blessed as a result of it. So as that comes for our response time, with everyone just being very respectful now to the Lord, because this is what we call, for those of you who are visiting, our response time. What we don't do at Calvary is we don't give a nice speech and then go home. It's not what it's about at all. We teach God's word. We accept it as God's word to our hearts. And then if changes need to be made, we commit to making those changes. So I want to ask everybody to just get real quiet right now. I want to ask everybody to realize that the Lord is here in the room. And I want you to look up at this last point on the screen. Some people, when they hear a message like this, they get convicted. And they think, okay, I'm going to try harder. Can I encourage you not to have that mindset because if you just try harder you might do good for a week two weeks three weeks maybe and then you're going to go right back into the old rut of how you used to do things you see trying harder without god's help equals no lasting change you need the lord i need the lord and so a better way of instead of trying harder, a better thing to do, number one is repent. That's what the Bible says over and over. Repentance means a change of mind. It leads to a change of life. And so you look at what you're doing or what you're saying, and then you compare it to what God says, and you say, I'm wrong, God, you're right. You change your mind about what you're doing. And then you confess it. You admit it and quit it. But it doesn't stop right there. At that point, there needs to be submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the area that American evangelical churches lacks in right here. There's not a lot of submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ anymore. People will say a little prayer. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He demands to be Lord in your life. So you say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. 
I'm submitting to you, Jesus, as my Lord. I'm submitting to your word. And I can't do this in my own strength. So right now, I'm asking for the filling of your spirit. I'm asking for that third person of the Trinity, God, who, God's spirit who lives inside of me. I'm asking you with this humble heart, this submitted attitude to empower me. And I pray you'll make those changes through me. And you know what happens then? Last thing, fruit. Because you've invited God into the situation. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.